to the very special and very lonely holiday edition of Zero Stars. Um, it's been a few weeks, and unfortunately, this week it's just going to be me on the podcast, and it's going to be a very short podcast. Perhaps that is actually fortunately. Um, Bob is busy with stuff that he can't share with us, uh, probably NSA-related. If any of you saw the recent cover of the New York Times homepage, you might have an idea of what's going on. Um, so it's just me, and I just wanted to kind of gather around the holiday season and talk a little bit about Christmas Co-op. Um, Christmas Co-op is kind of a, well, first of all, it is very secular, I should say. It's a, that's, that's Christmas with an X, um, and just simply being used for its alliteration. Christmas Co-op is sort of the experience that I used to have whenever I would go home for Christmas from college and was hanging out with friends, or even just like when I was five and woke up one morning to find an NES under the tree and played a bunch of Mario or Ninja Turtles with my sister. You know, it's that inherent, like, you've got time off, you are sitting around at home when you are not watching them up. It's Christmas Carol, what are you doing? You're probably playing some video games. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to doing some Christmas co-op this year myself because I have a Switch, and a Switch is eminently portable. Um, so Bob and I had this idea that we wanted to talk a little bit about some of our favorite co-op experiences. But since Bob isn't here and is somewhere in the deserts of Nevada and is unreachable, even via satellite phones, I'm going to have to talk to you guys about some of my favorite co-op experiences. It's going to be real quick. Bear with me. I'm so sorry he's not here. I'm so, so, so sorry. I'm very sorry. Um, first one I actually wanted to mention is a pretty recent title. It's called Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. This is a game in which you play as a bunch of little cartoon people. Not people. Maybe they're animals. They're people, animals, aliens. One of them's a bunny. And you pilot a spaceship. Um, ideally, you have like two to three people playing this game. Maybe as many as four. I believe it goes as high as four, if not higher. Um, and you're all moving around the spaceship kind of like one person will be steering the spaceship, the others will be manning these guns, and you are traveling through these extraordinarily colorful asteroid belts and interiors of planets, and um, you'll be firing laser beams, and uh, really your main goal is to attempt to rescue bunnies. It sort of gets very bullet hell at times. It has this added, like sort of intensity of not being able to control every part of your spaceship yourself. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's actually a lot smoother than it initially sounds. It has this sort of quap element to it at first where somebody else is almost controlling your, the, the, you know, the knees of the body while you're trying to, to coordinate walking and it gets kind of confusing, but Within minutes, someone who has never played video games can pretty easily pick up on how to play this game, and it gets to be a lot of fun. Um, it's yeah, it's it's on like pretty much every platform. It's on Mac. You can get it on Windows on Mac. You, if you could probably play it online, it's an easy way to have like four people with you if you're super lonely and your co-op is far away from the couch and limited to your internet connection. Um, but it's also on the Switch, which is going to be a lot of fun because if you have a Switch, then you automatically have two controllers built in. So I am actually probably going to be downloading that for the Switch simply for my upcoming Christmas vacation, holiday vacation. 
Christmas vacation is not alliterative. So there's no excuse to say that. Anyway, moving on. Um, let's say that you have a PS4 and you have a bunch of PS4 controllers and you don't like looking at screens. If that's the case, and you also have a pretty big apartment or you're going to a pretty big home, the um, one of my favorite party games is Johann Sebastian Joust. This is a, a, a game that came out with the Sports Friends compilation series on the PlayStation 4. It's also now on Windows and Mac. Um, the goal of Johann Sebastian Joust is to hold a PlayStation 4 controller in your hand in a group of, I believe, up to four people, but you need at least two people to play. And while you are holding the controller in your hand, music will be playing. It's um, a Bach symphony, not surprisingly. And you can move either slow, slowly while the music is playing at a regular pace, or when the music speeds up, you can move quickly. It's sort of like a um, the theory behind musical chairs, but with more aggressive tactics. Because your goal at all times is to get someone to jostle so that, they're, so that the PlayStation 4 senses that the controller is moving faster than the music would allow. Um, I, I assume that none of this is making sense. But just trust me when I say that you have Sebastian Joust, as long as you have a group of friends and or family members who don't have like physical bubbles that you can't get inside of, like anybody who's okay with maybe being pushed a little bit or having someone lean around them to try and jostle their hand, it's a good game. Um, moving on, let's say that you have a PS4 or an Xbox and you want to play some like old school arcade action. Uh, Towerfall is an excellent and hyper-competitive option. Uh, actually, this is one of those titles that I think probably most everybody with a PlayStation 4 has played at this point. It was formerly an Ouya exclusive, for those of you who remember the Ouya, and I guess that if you have an Ouya lying around, you could also play Towerfall on that. Um, and if you have an Ouya lying around and you're interested in selling it for under $100, please write in to podcast at zerostars.co. Um, Towerfall is really fun. You play as an archer. The other person plays as an archer. A third person can play as an archer. A fourth person can play as an archer. And you all just shoot arrows at each other. It's so simple. There's like three buttons. It basically could be played with an NES controller, but it is enormously satisfying. Actually, scratch that. It could be played with a super NES controller, not an NES controller. You need the shoulder buttons. Um, it's incredibly satisfying. It's incredibly frictive. It's really fun to hold on to things. The sound effects are really great. Everything about it is a ton of fun. It's, it's the kind of game that you could create an incredible tournament around if you have an entire family that's just like really into Towerfall, which is the kind of family I have hoped to eventually have. Um, another recent shout out is actually Cuphead. I played Cuphead for the first time just a few weeks ago. Uh, it's just as good and just as frustrating and just as fun in its frustrations as everyone seems to have been saying it is. I'm a big fan. Uh, Cuphead was also really fun co-op, although I think that you have to make sure that you don't, that you and your partner that you're playing with don't burn out at the same pace because it's very easy for someone else to burn out on the intensity of Cuphead and for the other person to want to keep on going. And that can create friction. And before you know it, you will be in couples counseling. One note, um, play GoldenEye if you must. 
it's really fun to have an N64 that's around still. You want to be playing those cartridges before their batteries die forever and you lose all of your saves. Um, but better yet, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the better version of GoldenEye or the best version of GoldenEye's multiplayer is the one that Bob espouses in one of our recent podcasts. It's his variation. And it requires actually not GoldenEye, but the sequel for the N64, The World Is Not Enough, and that involves broken grenade launchers and a hedge maze. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's worth listening to. Just go back to whatever number it is because I can't remember the number. But it's our episode about broken games and games that are sort of broken that we love because they're broken. Uh, talk, speaking of N64, Mario Kart 64, still really good. In fact, any Mario Kart, really good. And it's basically a game that is available on every Nintendo system, I'm pretty sure, barring the NES. Um so you can find one for your old Wii that, you know, either you inherited from your grandparents or just happened to have picked up recently for $10 at a tag sale. Like, that's a really good Mario Kart still. You've got Double Dash on the GameCube, which is phenomenal. Even if you have a 2DS, I'm pretty sure you can play Mario Kart or whatever the most recent or second most recent iteration on the Game Boy dual screen is. I guess that's just a DS. I think you can play it on the 2DS, too, though. Anyway. Um, one of my favorite... If, on the same Nintendo note, I mean, if you really want to bring joy into someone's life, grab your Switch and give your mom, your sister, your brother, your dad, your grandpa, maybe even your grandmother, a chance to climb a tree in Breath of the Wild because it will return them to childhood. They don't have to play much more than just the tree. I mean, you might have trouble stopping them, but if you just like let them climb trees and pick apples, man, that is that is a wonderful feeling. That's that's like the most wonderful, like childlike feeling. Like it's that actually delivers on the feeling that Christmas should deliver on. That feeling that you want to have every December where you just think this Christmas is gonna feel just like when I was a kid. Climbing trees in Breath of the Wild, that's what actually makes you feel like Christmas as a kid. Moving on. Um, you could also just be like me and make your mom play Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. That was an interesting experience. Um, I learned a lot about how people who don't play video games treat dual stick first person games. Um, specifically, they may or may not hold the controller all the way up to their head because it's easier for them to understand the idea of craning their necks up and then down, which is essentially what your right stick is doing if they actually have the controller right by their head. It's ergonomically really fascinating, actually. So maybe do do that. Maybe play Everybody's Gone to the Rapture with your parents and make them hold the controllers up to their chin. Uh, I... One of my favorite, actually, okay, so there are a lot of, like, co-op games where you play at the same time that are a lot of fun. Um, I, I'd say, like, a shout-out to some of Halo's old co-op, um, couch co-op specifically. Like, Halo 2 um, is a blast, and the original Halo is a blast in co-op. But, frankly, usually it's a lot more fun to trade off on games because lots of games aren't actually built for co-op. Um, co-op is sort of more of an afterthought, and so they are not going to necessarily be fine-tuned for the co-op experience. Um, so trading off on games, really fun. 
old school. It's also, it's kind of like when you got the NES for Christmas and it only had one controller with it. Actually, that's a bad example. I think they all came with two controllers. Um, okay. It's like when you got your PlayStation for the first time, it only had one controller with it and your parents didn't think to buy you a second controller, which is really a dick move on their part. And so you had to trade off in your controller constantly back and forth when you're playing Final Fantasy VII or, I don't know, Bubsy 3D. Um, trading off on games is a lot of fun, actually. And Bob and I do this often. Recently, we've been trading off on like uh, Hitman, which was fantastic, the Hitman reboot from this year. It's a lot of fun to just fail missions and watch the other person fail missions and eventually like kind of be cheering each other on. Um, and the different routes that different people opt to take and being able to see that in real time as opposed to having to watch YouTube videos of it. Uh, really good. We also like trading off on that recent Doom reboot. Um, Splatoon is a lot of fun. Bubsy 3D, like I said. Um, trading off is like, this is going to sound like a joke, but I'm being dead serious in, in that metaphorically trading off on playing games like gives one person a chance to play the game while the other person has a chance to eat pizza. And I think that that's super, super important in friendships and in gaming. So anyway, oh, also Resident Evil 4 on professional difficulty, a ton of fun to trade off on. In fact, any Shinji Mikami game like God Hand. Now we're going to enter the second half of this holiday episode in which I just want to talk to you about God Hand and why God Hand is the best. God Hand is the best because God Hand is a beat-em-up. God Hand is violent, jazzy chess. God Hand is the game you will want in your coffin when they bury you. God Hand is your favorite inexpensive low-batch bourbon no one else has discovered. And as Tim Rogers once said in a review slash beat poem, a pun I entirely intend, about this title, God Hand is a game bong. You pass it around. So this holiday season, as you're sitting down with friends and loved ones, family members, pets, think about purchasing God Hand on the PlayStation 3 virtual console. Or think about buying a PS2 at a garage sale, maybe, because there's got to be garage sales even in December. And then going to eBay and dropping like 100 bucks on a PS2 disc version of God Hand. Any way you can, I recommend playing God Hand this holiday season. It is entirely inappropriate, unchristian. Um, in fact, it's really offensive to just about any belief system, including ethical ones. It's, it's disgusting. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I hate that it exists. I hate that anybody ever made it. But it is so, so, so frictively fun. Just skip all the cutscenes. And on that note, um, I hope you have a happy holidays. Zero Stars will be back in the new year, in 2018, with Bob. I promise he will be here. Uh, he's actually editing this episode, so you guys will definitely hear his presence in the actual editing process. Um, we're looking forward to 2018. We're still going to keep that that bi-weekly structure, um, at the very least two, two episodes a month structure. We're going to be doing different things, too. Um, probably just as much of a focus on video games, but also bringing in sort of other ideas, other topics, and maybe some new formats. 
Um, also, hopefully guest stars. And that reminds me that in the episode description, you will see a link to our GoFundMe, which will help get Tom DeLong on this podcast for a wide-ranging interview. Um, that's Tom DeLong, former Blink-182 frontman and current UFO truther. So, yeah, contribute, please, hundreds of dollars. He is a really high-asking price. And uh, that's all. Talk to you later. Bye.